like you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Jeremiah tonight, Jeremiah chapter 23, Jeremiah 23. I like those Christmas songs. I can't always sing some of them because they're so high, but uh, I do like them, and they do have some great doctrine in them. Some of them do, some of them don't, but uh, some of them do, and uh, we, we, we sang a couple of them that had some good doctrine in them tonight. All right, chapter 23, I, I want to speak to you tonight uh, from two verses here, and then we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures this evening, uh, but I, I want us to think about uh, just the subject of the presence of God, the presence of God, and that's a subject that we don't really think about in a great manner of speaking. You know, we go about our day, and we do our thing, and and, uh, you know, okay, well, I'm good today, I'm healthy today, I'm well today, I've got money to buy lunch, and, you know, Lord, I'll bother you later. But is that the way we ought to be? Uh, what is the concept of that presence of God as it should be in our life? Well, in this passage, we have Jeremiah uh, speaking to the Israelites. Of course, they're in idolatry and sin and wickedness of all kinds, and He's really rebuking here the false prophets in this passage. And in this whole section, he's, he's speaking to them about the judgment of God that's coming because of their wickedness and their idolatry and their forgetting of God. And this was common with Israel, wasn't it? They prospered, they grew fat, and then they forgot God. And you know what, folks? We aren't any different. We, we prosper, we get fat, and then we forget God. And as he speaks to them here in this passage in chapter 21, he deals with the judgment of God here that is coming uh, because of the leaders. He rebukes these leaders. And of course, the king at this point is Zedekiah. And he's a wicked king, ungodly king. And he's rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. And now it's about 588 B.C. in that vicinity. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's armies have surrounded the city of Jerusalem now. And the false prophets are saying, oh, there's going to be peace. There's going to be victory. We don't need to worry. We're, we're safe. But the armies are all about the city of Jerusalem. And they'll be there for 30 months in siege. And finally the city falls and destruction comes and death comes and thousands are killed. And many thousands more are taken into captivity and the temple is destroyed and the judgment of God has come. But Zedekiah said, no, no, everything's fine, and uh, we, we're going to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And God had told him, don't do that. When Nebuchadnezzar comes, give yourself to him and go out. And Nebuchadnezzar, as Zedekiah said, no, we're not doing that. And then he rebukes these kings, these kings of Judah. He goes all the way back to Hoaz and Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin and all the chins and gets down to Zedekiah again, chapter 22. Chapter 23 he begins the first eight verses here by speaking of the Messiah who's come. So isn't this a wonderful contrast? He speaks about the evil, wicked kings that have led Israel down the road of idolatry and sin and wickedness. And now destruction and judgment is coming, but there's going to be a restoration. There's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a king from David's line that's going to sit upon the throne of Israel. And then he begins to talk to these false prophets. And from there until from verse 9 to the end of the chapter here in verse 60, he talks to these false prophets and he rebukes these false prophets and exposes their wickedness, exposes their lies and their wicked conduct. In fact, if you notice here, it's so bad that God says it makes him tremble. 
Now, that, that stopped me in my tracks when I thought about that. Does my sin cause God to tremble? Th these, these people were religious, but they were wicked. They were deceivers. They were false prophets. They gave a false message. Their conduct was immoral. So bad that God trembled. I wonder if we stop to think in our own lives about sin in that context. Does our sin cause God to tremble? Maybe God trembles because we don't tremble when we sin. And so he sets this up, and in the midst of all of this, as he was rebuking these false prophets, he says this in verse 23, I am a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not fill, do I not, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. So he's asking here a question to these people. He says to them, am, am I a small God? Am I a limited God? Am I just a local deity? Am I an idol? Am I no more than just the temple? Is that all that I encompass? Or am I a God who is far off as well, who is immense, who is over all the universe? This is the question that he asked them. Do they have a concept of the presence of God? Obviously they didn't because they thought he was just a local deity confined to that temple and not a God who is present everywhere. The presence of God could be simply defined as God everywhere present with his whole being always. Now, if you go to Brother Jake's theology class, he'll give you a longer definition of that and probably a much uh, the more theological definition, but that's a simple definition. God is in his whole being present everywhere always at all times. There was a, a little guy that went to Sunday school, and he was learning about God in Sunday school. And as he came home, like a lot of little boys, he was just sort of stumbling around looking at things. You know, he saw, found a caterpillar, and he was watching this caterpillar, and he stuffed his feet in the grass, you know, and he was looking at the birds in the trees. And a neighbor was watching him as he kind of zigzagged his way home, you know, taking his good old time and dawdling along. And so the, the neighbor spoke to him. He said, son, where have you been? He said, well, sir, he said, I... I've been at Sunday school. I've been learning about God. The fellow said to him, he said, listen, that's a good thing for a young man to be thinking about. He said, listen, if you can tell me where God is, I'll give you a brand new dime. The little boy looked at him and said, if I'll give you a dollar, mister, if you can tell me where God ain't. That little boy had some theology about him, all right? And that's what I want us to think about tonight as we look at this chapter. Jeremiah condemns their low and ignorant view of God, the presence of God. Do we forget God today? Do I forget God in my life as I go about my daily life? Do I forget God as I plan my life out? I know many times I've seen this with people's lives. They plan their life, but they forget God. God's nowhere found in it. They just made their plans and done their thing as it were. 
But I, I want you to understand that we as Christians today, sometimes I believe are guilty of forgetting God, forgetting the presence of God in our lives. Do we conceive of God beyond just this church house and the meetings that we enjoy here on Sundays and Wednesday nights? Does God go with us beyond that? Is, is the presence of God in our hearts beyond that? Do we, we, do we understand that God is present and sees all that happens in our life, knows our thoughts, knows our actions, walks with us day by day, is in our lives? And I think the main point here tonight is simply this, that God is present. Whether we acknowledge it or not, God is present, and he sees and hears everything that goes on in our lives and takes knowledge of our condition before him. Scripture says in Jeremiah here, chapter 23 and verse 24, do, I, do not I fill heaven and earth? Psalms 139, 7 says, Whether shall I go from the, the, thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Acts chapter 17, verse 27, That they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from any one of us. That's the presence of God. He is present with us. And as believers, we should live that presence of God. We live as though God doesn't exist. We live as though we've forgotten God's existence. We ought to have that concept of the nearness of God that would challenge us and encourage us to live in, the, in a godly manner before the Lord, as it were, every day in our lives. So I want you to think with me tonight as Jeremiah uh, gives this message to these false prophets that it suggests to us three considerations concerning the presence of God. And the first consideration is to consider the precept that is presented. He says in verse 23, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? He's saying to them in a rhetorical question, am I not present everywhere? The answer, of course, to his question is yes. The answer to his question is you are everywhere. And we have to understand that precept. God is not limited to this church house. God is not limited just to heaven above. God is not limited just to a Bible study or just to a time when you and I sit down with our Bibles, hopefully, and, and read and have a devotional time together. God is there, and that's wonderful, but it's not the only place God is. God is present in every area of our life. Turn to the 139th Psalm. The 139th Psalm. And again, familiar passage, but it, it speaks to us about this very presence of God. Chapter 30, 139 of Psalms, Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? He's saying to us very simply, God is everywhere, present at all times, and you cannot get away from me. <laughs> sometimes I think we like to get away from God. That's kind of our attitude sometimes. But the psalmist says, you can't escape God. God is present everywhere. God is present wherever you go. He's not limited by death. Notice in verse 8, if I ascend up into heaven, there thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, behold, I'm sorry, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. 
God is there even in death. You go to heaven, God's going to be there. A lot of people think they're going to go to hell and God's not going to be there. They're wrong. God's going to be there. He's going to be there in judgment against them. Notice that God is not limited by distance. He says, I can take the wings of the morning, of the sunrise, as it spreads across the horizon and as it goes on through the day and circumvents the world. But I'm still not going to outrun God. God is there. I can dwell in the uttermost part of the sea. I can go down to the, the deepest trench in the sea, find the deepest place, and God is there. That's the precept. I wonder if we really grasp that. God is there when you go to school, young people. God is there when you disobey your parents. God is there when you go to work. God is there when you do your shopping. God is there when you're on the highway and the guy cuts you off and you're shaking your fist at him. God is there. Everywhere we go, God is there. That's the precept that Jeremiah is trying to put into the minds of these false prophets, that God is present. They're living like God doesn't exist, like God is not present. And we live, unfortunately sometimes, even as church folk and Christian folks, we live like God doesn't exist. Don't have our devotions. Don't watch our language. Don't treat our wife right. Don't raise our kids as we ought to. But God is there. God is there. And and the point that we need to understand is what we believe about God determines how we live. If you don't believe God's there, then you can think you can get something over on God. But, But notice this verse again in our text. What does he say? He says in this verse, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? There's no place you can go and do whatever you think you can do in the flesh and whatever sin you can commit, and you think nobody sees. Well, maybe nobody does see, but God sees. God is present there. You can hide it. You can do it in the dark, but God is present there. I wonder if we understand and live that precept in our lives. And God, by the way, is not limited. Notice again in verse 24, he says, can any hide himself in the secret places? I wonder if we think we can deceive God about our lives. Hmm? Well, I can come to church and look really good and have my best clothes on and sit in the pew and sing the songs and even enjoy the Christmas songs. And uh, we, can, we can make out like we are the prince of Christianity. But God's present when we're not the prince of Christianity. You see what he's saying here is he wants these fellows to get this in their hearts and minds. They're giving a false message. They're living a false life. They're leading the people down a false way because they don't believe God sees. They don't believe that God hears. They don't believe that God is the God of the universe present in every place at the same time. Listen, we need today to take that thought in our hearts. God is present in every circumstance, every act, every deed, every word. He sees every deceit. He provides that presence that he may give us direction and correction if we have need of it. 
There was a father that took his son along to steal. I don't know why a father would do that, but I guess that's probably the ungodly way of the old flesh. Took his son along to steal, and so he said, son, now I just want you to stand outside here, and you're going to be the lookout. I want you to just keep an eye to see if there's somebody who can see what we're doing. The little boy thought there for a moment, and he said, Dad, he said, there's someone watching. He said, there is. Who's watching? He said, look up, Dad. God's looking down on you. God's watching. God's present. God's there. God knows. God sees. God hears. That precept has to be deep in our hearts if we're going to live the life that God would have us to live and be the testimony God would have us to be. But there's another consideration I want you to see. Not only consider the precept that is presented here, but consider the presumption that's suggested. Notice again here the suggestion is that they dare to say that God is limited and does not see and is not present everywhere. That's presumptuous. That's arrogant. That's a, that's a, a terrible thought to have. It's kind of like the astronaut for the Russians that was put up into space when they first made their first uh, uh, circumvent uh, of, with the satellite or, or with the spacecraft around the Earth. The Russian cosmonaut said, I've looked and I can't see God. But God saw him. You can guarantee that. Listen, that's presumption. That's a presumption that these men are making here. And in chapter 139 in the book of Psalms, verse 10, he says this. Even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. I go up to heaven, go down to earth, go down to the sea, wherever I go, God is going to be there. And he's going to be there in every circumstance that I have to deal with in my life. Do we forget, do we overlook uh, the, the fact that God is there. Do we in our religious sacrifices, if we can use that term for Baptist, come to church, you know, that's my sacrifice. I, I don't get to use Sunday. I can't go golfing and I can't go fishing. So I'm making a sacrifice to come to church. I, I've never made a sacrifice to come to church, honestly. And sometimes we feel that way. We've forgotten God. We've overlooked the fact that God sees our hearts and sees us and knows what's happening in our lives. And we make these sacrifices. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32. Israel had this problem. The 32nd chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, verses 17 and 18. Actually, I'm going to go back to um, verse 15 here. He says, Jeshurun, this is chapter 32 in Deuteronomy. Jeshurun waxed fat. Kicked, and thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. He got fat and happy and forgot God. That's what Israel did. Now notice verse 16. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, and to new gods that came up newly, whom your fathers feared not. I wonder how many false gods we make sacrifices to and don't think about the presence of God. We forget. We forget and sacrifice to other gods. We've turned to other gods. We've turned to the gods of materialism or the god of popularity or the god of custom or the god of 
of fashion, as it were. And we've forgotten God. You know, God, God's got a fashion. It's called modesty. That's what God's got. But we've forgotten God. And so the presence of God, we've forgotten that God looks at our immodest dress and does not approve of that. I, I want to say that we forget and pervert our way and turn our way away from the Lord. There's a, an interesting passage here in Deuter or in um, Jeremiah chapter 3, if you turn there, Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 21. Again, the prophet here says, A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of children of Israel, for they would have perverted their way and have forgotten the Lord their God. They've perverted their way. They've turned again away. They've forgotten God once more. So the question for us then today, if we want to make it practical for us in our day, is have we forgotten God? Have we gotten fat and happy? Have we gotten prosperous? Are we comfortable? Have we forgotten that God is here? Notice, if you would, sometimes we forget God's prosperity. What you believe about God determines how you will live. If you've forgotten him, if you're making sacrifice to other gods, forgetting God, you're going to live that way in the presence of the true and real God. But there is also a contempt that these folks have shown to the Lord. If you notice here again, he says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? In other words, he's saying, you've, you've contentiously judged me. You have misjudged me. You've shown contempt towards me by limiting me to this temple, by limiting me to a, a certain area, as it were, and not understanding that I am a God of the universe, that there's, there's no end to my presence in this universe. And they commit sins in the presence of God that they would be afraid to commit in the presence of men. Now, before we condemn them, maybe we ought to think about our own lives. How do we show contempt for God's presence? Well, if we dress immodestly, Don't we show contempt for God's presence? If God were standing before you at your dressing mirror, if you have one of those things, or the mirror in your bathroom, would God be pleased with your dress? He's present. He's watching. He's seeing. How about our speech? Would I talk this way before God? Would I say these words in His presence? But he is present, and he does hear, and he is there. How about adultery, fornication? Would I act this way? If God were standing here, would I be doing this? But God is there. He is seeing. He's understanding. Here's one that's really bad in our day. Would you be looking at the porn on your computer or on your phone if God were standing next to you? Hmm? Well, I wouldn't do that. If it, I, I hide it from my parents. I hide it from my wife. I hide it from, from the fellows at church. I hide it from my pastor. But God is there. God sees that. Do we understand the presence of God? Or are we presumptuous in the presence of God? 
How about you young people? Do you rebel against your parents? Do you give them grief and, and disobey? And would you do that if Jesus were standing there? Well, I wouldn't do it if Jesus were there, but he is there. He's present. That's what we have to understand and comprehend. We need to consider the presumption that's suggested here because that same presumption finds its way into our lives. And we have to understand whatever I do, say, or speak, or think, God is there and God sees it and God knows it and he is present. And I have to understand that presence. Let me give you one final thing here from this passage and uh, from the scriptures tonight and we'll take a little time to be a little practical here with this. But I want you to consider uh, not only the precept that was presented and the, and the uh, presumption that's suggested, but also consider the practice that's intended. The practice that's intended. God would have preferred Israel to draw upon his resources and live lives that were lived in light of his holy presence. That's what he would have them do. That's what he's rebuking these prophets about. Psalms 139 and verse 10, we read a while ago, uh, says that he is there wherever and whatever we do. So the question then becomes, how do I practice God's presence? And I'll just give you a couple of things and then some practical applications if I could. But I believe we practice that presence by remembering him. Go to the 26th chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26. And I want to look at a verse here in Isaiah chapter 26 and uh, <clears throat> verse 8. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name, to the remembrance of thee. That will be our desire, to remember him. To remember he is present in all of his holiness and righteousness and glory in our life. Why is that so? Because he dwells within us. He is closer to you as a Christian than your skin on your body. True? He is there present within you. So everything you do, everywhere you go, everything you say, everything you think, God is present and he knows and he sees exactly what's in your mind and what you're thinking. So he says, call to mind our God. If you want to walk in the presence of God, remember him. Call him to mind. Call to mind the fact that he's living here. He's an occupant. He is watching, seeing, feeling, understanding everything in my life that I'm connected to or with. And then secondly, Look at Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. And I want us to look at just uh, one verse here in verse 26 of this, ver of this chapter. Isaiah, 20, uh, Isaiah 43, 26. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. So he's again talking about remembrance, but he says he wants you to plead. He wants you to judge those things that are forgetful and contemptuous of God in your life. And I believe that we can 
practically practice the presence of God by remembering him and judging the things that oughtn't to be in the presence of God. Let me give you just a couple of quick things here. Remember his presence enables us to overcome fear. We struggle with fear, do we not? We don't testify or witness because of fear. That's why we don't share the gospel or give a gospel tract or, or uh, talk to our neighbor or whatever the case may be. It's fear, that, fear of men that comes into our hearts. We don't stand up for our convictions because of the fear of men. We don't say anything at work because we're feared, fearful of losing our job. But the presence of God is there. I want you to notice in Isaiah, again, if you go back to Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 41, if you would. Isaiah chapter 41. And let's look at a couple of verses here in verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 41. He says, Fear not, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee in the, with the righteous, right hand of my righteousness. The fear of God in our lives, knowing his presence, remembering that presence enables us to overcome fear. Years ago, I, I worked, at, while I was in college, I, I worked for Winn-Dixie grocery store. And so uh, in those days, the, they were normally closed on Sundays. But one day out of the month, they, they worked to stock out the store completely and, and get the back room all cleaned out so that they could get the new shipment of food in. And so the boss came to me, and he said, and I was a stock clerk, so that was my job. I had to stock shelves. Came to me and said, listen, uh, we, we're going to going to have to work on Sunday. I said, well, that's a problem because I don't work on Sunday. Sunday's the Lord's Day, and I go to church and worship God and serve God on Sunday. Well, he said, it's okay. We'll talk to Dr. Bob. It'll be fine. I said, you're going to have to go a little higher than Dr. Bob. Now, what, what was the point of that? Well, listen, I needed that job to stay in college. I needed to pay my bills. I needed that job. God had given me that job, but I needed to keep that job. So I was caught on the horns of a dilemma. Do I stop going to church on Sunday? And at just, I mean, it's just one Sunday out of the month and stock, stock shelves? Or do I just trust God and let him overcome the fear of losing my job and not paying my college bill? Well, I chose just to trust God. I thank God for that strength to do that. But that's how we overcome fear, by understanding the presence of God. See, God, it wasn't just the manager that was standing there with me that day. God was standing there with me that day. I was in his presence. What was I going to say? Excuse me, Lord, I, I really need this job and I've got to work on Sunday. Do you think he'd have accepted that? Now, there are some jobs, understand, doctors, nurses, things like that. There are some jobs you have to work on the Lord's Day. God understands that, I believe. But most jobs, stocking grocery shelves is not one of those jobs. But I, I think we, we can make a practical application here. In, in the scriptures, I, Isaiah, or Isaac, rather, uh, and the herdsmen of Gerar were stri in strife over the water wells that he was digging. The scriptures in chapter 26 of Genesis, verse 24, says, The Lord said to him, Fear not, I am with thee. 
And he was just one man with one family. And there was a whole group of people that were shepherds and herdsmen. And he was at a disadvantage, but he just trusted God. Look at verse 13 here in chapter 41. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Isn't it wonderful to have somebody hold your hand when you're afraid? God is there to hold your hand. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to give in. You don't need to compromise. You don't need to sin. God is there to hold your hand. Then there's another thought I'd like to share with you. We need to remember his presence enables us to handle the trials and afflictions of life. God's presence. It's hard to go through trials. It's hard to go through difficulties. It's hard to go through the, the afflictions and the tribulations of life. Anybody here like tribulation and affliction? I don't. I try to avoid it, but sometimes you can't avoid it. Sometimes God intends it to be in your life. Sometimes God's going to use it to do something in your life. We need to remember the presence of God that it will enable us in those trials and tri tribulations of life. Look at Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. I want you to look at verse 2 here in this very familiar passage again. Verse 2. Let's just read verse 1. But now this saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Isn't that a wonderful verse? You could just stop and preach on that for a while, couldn't you? Amen. But look at verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, and Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Do I really need to buckle under trials and afflictions and difficulties? Or can I rest in the presence of God? Why would I be able to do that? Well, God's a bigger God than my tribulation. He's more powerful. He's wiser than I am. He's able to handle these things, give me discernment and wisdom how to approach these things, give me the strength to endure these things. God is present there. When David was uh, following the Philistine king, uh, he was sent back, remember, to Ziklag. They didn't want David there. They thought he would be a, a fifth column in their army. So they sent him back to Ziklag, and when he got there, the, the city was destroyed. The Malachites had come up and destroyed it. And the men that were with David were so uh, upset and distressed by this, they threatened to stone David. There's an interesting passage there in 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6 that says simply that David encouraged himself in the Lord. See, for David, God was present. These guys were upset. It was understandable. Their families were gone. Their goods were burned. Their houses were burned. Everything they had was lost. And they could have well stoned David. But David didn't run. David didn't get excited. David just encouraged himself in the Lord, in the trial and tribulation. I don't know what trial or tribulation you may go through. It could be sickness. It could be a rebellious child in your family. It could be a financial downturn. It could be a loss of jobs. It could be that somebody is just riding you at work 
and afflicting you because you're a Christian. But whatever that trial is, God is present. And he'll give you the ability to overcome that. I think of the three guys that were in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And old Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and he says, I see a fourth form in there, like unto the Son of God. Isn't that interesting? They were in affliction. They were in the fire. But the presence of God was there as well. The presence of God enables us to resist temptation. We need to remember God and remember that his presence enables us to resist the temptations of this life. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. His eyes are everywhere. He sees the evil and he sees the good. And he knows how to resist the devil. He knows how to strengthen you against the weakness of your flesh. He knows how to give you the ability to say no and turn to the right path as a Christian in your life. We may deceive others. We may be struggling with gossip. We may have lustful thoughts. We may have bitterness and anger in our hearts. We may be involved in the addictions of the day. We may actually have envy and jealousy and covetousness, and we may struggle with pornography, but God is there, and he is able to meet our need if we will allow him to do so, if we'll remember that he is present. I don't have to fight this temptation by myself. I can have the strength and power of Almighty God. Isn't that what Joseph did in the 39th chapter of Genesis? When the wife of Potiphar tried to seduce him, brought him into the house. He was by himself. She made this illicit suggestion to him. All right, that's a senior moment. It just comes and goes. All right. But what did he say? This is what Joseph said. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Do you suppose that he saw that God was there, that he believed that God was with him, that God was present and was watching what he was doing? He absolutely did. And he practiced that presence. He said, lady, I'm leaving. I'm not staying here. I'm getting out of town. I'm not coming around you. You're wicked, and I'm not going to put myself in that place. And he took off. I wonder how many times we've forgotten the presence of God when temptation comes. And we have fallen to that temptation because we have forgotten God and haven't drawn upon him and his resources to enable us to overcome that temptation. Doesn't the scripture tell us that there's no temptation given among men whereby, uh, you know, we're overtaken and that God hasn't given a way of escape? Absolutely. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, is it? I believe. So folks, listen. These are practical things. It, it enables us to find comfort. We remember him. It enables us to find comfort. Uh, Psalms chapter 16 and verse 18. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Hebrews 13, 5. I will, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. So listen. When you lose your job, do you fall apart? Do you start blaming God? 
you start getting mad and angry with God? Do you say, well, I'm not going to church anymore. If that's the way it's going to happen, I'm just done. Or do you see the presence of God to meet you in that time and give you comfort? Do you, uh, when you have a financial difficulty, do you rail at God because he hasn't met your need? Or do you find comfort in God's presence? You know, uh, years ago, we were going to our first church, and we'd left our church. I did things a little differently than most preachers. I, I just felt God would have us to step out in faith. I was assistant pastor. I didn't have a church to go to, but I felt God wanted us to go to uh, uh, the senior pastor level, and I just stepped out and said, Lord, here I am. And uh, we didn't have any means of support. I did get some jobs. I worked in some construction work. Brother Eric probably wouldn't believe that, but I, I did that. And uh, we made a little money, but we didn't make enough money because I was traveling on the weekends preaching in churches and candidating. Didn't have enough money to pay our bills. We were about $600 short, as I recall, at the end of the month. Prayed about it, trusted the Lord. And we got a check in the mail that covered the exact amount that we needed to pay our bills. Well, that was a comfort. And you know what? We just trusted God and had that comfort. God, God was present. We knew God was present. We knew God was in it. We knew that God hadn't forgotten us. We knew that God hadn't disappeared from the scene. We knew that God could comfort us in those times. Well, there's so many things that we could talk about. Paul was in the storm. Acts chapter 27. And he came to the sailors and the soldiers with this message of comfort that God would preserve them. He said, I exhort you to be of good cheer. Those guys must have thought he was nuts. Storms raging. It's been raging for days and weeks. And they're about to drown. And the ship's about to sink. And this crazy preacher comes along and says, be of good cheer. He found comfort in the Lord. It's interesting to me that that passage ends again in verse 25 by saying, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Paul believed that God was present. Paul believed and was comforted in that knowledge of God being present with him. Let me close with this one thought. His, we need to remember his presence enables us to serve. You know, God's presence assures us that we have the resources necessary to do the work he directs us to do. And sometimes when God puts a door in front of us and opens that door, we look at that door and say, well, I couldn't do that. There's not, we're like old Moses, you know. Moses, go and talk to Pharaoh. But Lord, I, there's got to be somebody better to do this job than me. I can't talk. You go back and read that. He gave the Lord three or four excuses there about he couldn't go. He couldn't go. He couldn't go. What did God say to him? He said, I'll be with your mouth. <laughs> A lot of people need to have God be with their mouth. But this fellow, God said, you don't have any excuse because I'm present. And I can enable you to talk to Pharaoh the way I want you to talk to Pharaoh. The presence of God. I wonder if we practice that same presence. You know, we, when we're witnessing to a friend, when we, when we share our testimony with somebody, when we lovingly confront a brother who's in error, when we counsel a struggling friend, when we undertake something in God's house to do, are we conscious that God is there, that he is enabling, that he can help us, I think about David when he went down to see Goliath. Little stripling of a fella. 
Saul says, here, take my armor. David said, I can't work with this. I don't know how to do this. But he said this. He said, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with you. That's probably the best thing Saul ever said in his life. And David went down to Goliath and the Lord went with him and there was a great victory. David could serve God as his warrior and his victor and his conqueror that day. Why? Because God went with him. He understood the presence of God. I don't think that David went down trembling. I don't think that David went down with great fear in his life, in his mind. I think David went down and said, Lord, I know you're with me, and this is your, your job, and this is the job I've been given, and Lord, uh, you just take this stone and get it where it's got to go. And God gave him a great victory. You can serve God if you remember the presence of God. You say, I don't have the talents. Well, maybe you do, and you just don't know it. Maybe God's going to bring those talents out. Maybe God's going to show you his power and his ability. You need to understand the presence of God to serve him and to practically live your life in his presence. So the question then as we close tonight is this. Do you not only believe in the presence of God, but also practice the presence of God? God is with you. God is there. God sees. Have you forgotten God is dwelling with you? Have you become contemptuous of his presence? Do you need to seek his forgiveness and bring yourself back to that presence, that understanding of the presence of God in your life? As we close tonight, Brother Jacobs comes to the invitation. I would just challenge you tonight to live in the presence of God. Not to be overwhelmed with fear, disabilities, situations and circumstances of life. Not to allow your life to become uh, fat, happy, and forgetful of God. But just to live in his presence. Just to say, Lord, I, I want to I remember your presence every day. Every word, every action, every thought, I want to recognize your presence that I might please you. I hope that's your desire. My desire is to please the Lord. I don't always do that. I fail sometimes, but my heart desires to please him. And as we practice the presence of God, then that desire grows in our life to please God. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I wanted to please my dad. I didn't want to do anything that didn't please my dad. Of course, I understood if I did that, there was a penalty that was going to be paid, and it wasn't very pleasant. But I wanted to please my dad because he was my dad, and he loved me. My dad was there for me. He was there in my life, and I wanted him to be pleased. I wanted him to be honored. I wanted to, to hold his name. My mother used to say to me, son, your father's given you a good name. Now you keep it that way. That was her way of telling me to behave. But that's the same thing. God's given us a good name. He is our Father. He does love us. And we are in His presence. And we should seek to live that presence before Him. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful, Lord, for Your Word.